0: Well, hey, you guys, welcome back to the College Age Movement Podcast. We've been gone for a couple weeks. It's camp season around here at Faith Chapel, so we've been all over the place. We did a college-age retreat. We did two weeks of kids camp, high school camp, and now we're in the middle of two weeks of junior high camp. And so life is crazy, but we are so excited to be back and to be starting a new series entitled the minor prophets. And there are 12 minor prophets found in the Old Testament, and uh, we're not going to touch on every single one of them, but there are 12 powerful stories that still hold incredible value for us today. The Tanakh or Jewish scriptures is important for us to understand as followers of Jesus, uh, because these scriptures were wildly important to Jesus. This was Jesus's Bible. And while Jesus fulfilled much of the Old Testament, it still teaches us amazing lessons about God. And the first minor prophet that we're going to be looking at is the prophet Hosea. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to take a 30,000-foot view at the book of Hosea. A couple things to know about this book. It was written during one of Israel's darkest seasons. Uh, They're in the midst of uh, possibly being taken over by Assyria or Egypt, and it is mostly poetry and is a collection of around 25 years of the prophet Hosea's sermon's and poems. There are 14 chapters that are essentially broken into three sections, but if we step back and we look at the book as a whole, there's a theme, and, and this is the theme, is that God loves Israel, God has chosen Israel, Israel rebels and sins, God then disciplines his children, but then God reconciles his children back to himself. And so what I want to do is I want to look at Hosea chapter 11. It's a poem by Hosea that describes God's love for his, for his children, excuse me, despite the fact that they have been disobedient. So Hosea chapter 11 verses 1 through 2 says this, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more that they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, or other gods, and they burned incense to images. So the first question I want to ask this week is, what idols are keeping us from hearing God? I think that we can all agree that there are so many different things in our lives that are going to be vying for our attention uh, in every season, And, and what we want is that we want to be people who are able to hear God above all the noise. Life can be absolutely chaotic. We all understand that. But if we can get into close proximity to Jesus and we can do that on a regular basis, we will absolutely recognize his voice when he decides to speak to us. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we know the voices of those that are closest to us. We know the voices that we are most familiar with, so we want to be familiar with the voice of God, and the only way that we're going to do that is by pressing into our relationship and being intentional with it on a regular basis. Uh, When I was 18, I got the privilege of going to Sao Paulo, Brazil on my very first mission trip. And uh, our team was made up of a bunch of seniors in high school and some freshmen and sophomores in college. And uh, we had an incredible time. But beforehand, we did all these meetings where we got to know each other really well. And, uh, you know, we did the classic icebreakers and and figured out everybody's favorite color and yada, yada, yada. But what was so amazing about that is that by the time we left for Brazil – We already knew each other well. We didn't get to know each other when we were in the midst of the mission. We already knew each other's voice. And there was this time where we were in one of the streets in downtown Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo has millions and millions and millions of people. It's one of the biggest cities in the world. And uh, we turned onto the street and there's this outdoor market and it is shoulder to shoulder. It is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. It's about uh, 400, 500 yards long. And there there are tens of thousands of people shoulder to shoulder. And so, you know, we're trying to have a good time. We're trying to look at some of the stuff in the outdoor market and our group gets split up. And uh, it gets split up into initially three groups That that we finally or quickly got two of the groups back together. So we were two groups and we were looking for each other. And one of the ways that, that that we found each other is that as we were yelling above the noise, we recognized each other's voice. Now, it didn't hurt that we were speaking English, but in the chaos of everything that was going on, what we heard was each other, and what we were looking for was each other. We were intentionally looking for each other's voice. So I think a question that we have to ask ourselves is, what is it that's causing chaos in our minds? And what's causing chaos in our lives. Some of them are going to be absolutely loud and they're going to be in our faces and they're going to be super, super obvious. And then some are going to be idols that don't really seem like idols at all. And here's the thing. The nation of Israel had more reasons than anyone to worship God, and yet they were hedging their worship with other idols. They were worshiping God, but they were also worshiping other things. Now, we aren't outright worshiping other things. Most of us aren't bowing down to statues or or to other gods, but we are giving other things just enough attention to pull us away from Jesus. That we're hedging our worship by spending time doing other things. And I don't think God's calling us to never do anything except bow at his feet. I think God loves us enjoying our lives and and whether that's playing PlayStation or watching sports or shopping or whatever. I think if done in, in good context, if done with good guardrails, those things are perfectly fine. But are we hedging our worship with other things? Are we spending significant time worshiping other things internally or externally that don't point us back towards Jesus. We have to be people who don't hedge our worship towards Jesus. And it it really all comes back to identity. We're constantly trying to define ourselves. We're constantly trying to define other people and other people defining us. And, and the Israelites of all people, like they had every reason to worship God. They'd been delivered on multiple occasions. God was with them. God had done incredible things in their nation. God had had risen incredible leaders. Like God had done so much for them. They were a chosen people. They were literally a called people. They were called the children of God, and yet they started to allow themselves to be called other things. They allowed themselves to be defined by other things. And I think we're in a place right now in history where we are starting to allow ourselves to be called other things again. And here's what we have to understand. For everything that God calls us to or calls us to be, the world will be calling us to be something else or to do something else. The world is always grasping and vying for our attention. But we have to understand that in all these different minor prophet stories that we will look at over the coming months, they are people that were willing to listen to God above everything else. That they had made it a life mission to listen and hear the voice of God. They intentionally looked for the voice of God Not just in the obvious situations, but in all situations. And I think that we have to ask ourselves if we can say the same. Are we intentionally looking for the voice of God in all situations? Do we take time to pause and ask God to speak into our situations? Asking God to play a part and to tell us what he would have us do in each and every circumstance. The scripture goes on to say this in Hosea chapter 11 verses 3 through 4. It says, it was I who taught Ephraim, which is Israel, to walk, talk, talking them by, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. The next point is this, is that God is often the unrecognized father. God is often the unrecognized father. God doesn't need our worship and our recognition to be God. He just is God. But it doesn't make any any less important that we would be people who honor him for who he is. And my prayer is that we wouldn't be a group of people who ever dismiss the awe that should be found in God's intentionality. That we would be so amazed by the fact that God is so intentional with us. A couple weekends ago, we had Mark Johnson come and speak at our college-age retreat, and he talked about God like a dad who shows up to our soccer game, and he doesn't really care about the game. He doesn't really care about all the other things that are going on. He just watches us. And that really hit home for me because as a dad who's gone to a kindergarten soccer game, I, I don't really care about the score of the game. I care about watching my kid and how they are doing and God God is able and is big enough to do that with every single one of us simultaneously that he is able to hone in and watch how we are doing and that is so amazing But I think that our response needs to be of recognition. That we wouldn't just be like, wow, that's really, really cool. But that we would look at God constantly and say, thank you so much for for being willing to be that kind of God for me every single day. I want to be thankful for that. And as we walk through these Old Testament prophets, I think that we will see that that God is a jealous God. He knows what he deserves. But I also think that we will see what a compassionate God is. He is. He's he's the perfect father, and while I am a father, I know that I am incredibly flawed. And one of the things that I always think about in comparison with me and God is this this idea uh, of swimming lessons. Um, I I tried to teach my kids how to swim for a while, and and I this definitely sticks out with a story about Maddox because for him I would tell him to do all these different things, and we would practice and. I would just try to, to hone these skills so that he could become a really good swimmer and he just couldn't get it. He just couldn't get it. And then he was four and we took him to swim lessons and the 16 year old kid who he has no idea who this kid is. He's like, Hey, do this thing that your dad has been telling you to do for a long time. And immediately Maddox got it immediately. He did it. And me as a flawed father, I was so frustrated. I was so frustrated I've been telling you that is how you're supposed to do that for so long. I was jealous that this 16-year-old kid was getting through to my boy more than I was. And while I think God sits upstairs and he goes, oh my gosh, like I've been telling you to do this for so long. You're just now getting this because something else happened. I'm sure he's like, why aren't you listening to me? But the difference between me and God is I was frustrated at how my son learned to swim. But God is just happy that his sons and his daughters know how to swim or know how to whatever. He's a jealous God, but he will use our delinquency and our inability to listen and our mess for our own good. He's a perfect God who just wants us to avoid as much as we possibly can the pain and the heartache that he wanted to put on himself, but he will always use it. He is a jealous God, but he is a God full of compassion who constantly smiles down on us. God wants us to listen because he doesn't want us to put ourselves through the mess, but he will always use the mess. Hosea chapter 11 verses 5 through 7 goes on to say this, Will they not return to Egypt and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? A sword will flash in their cities, it will devour the false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God Most High, I will by no means exalt them. The next point is this Are we flattering or following? Are we flattering or following? Egypt and Assyria were the big baddies at the time. They were powerful, and Israel had decided that they wanted to be more like them than like the people that God was calling them to be. And while what was happening at this point in history was that Israel was split between culture and calling, split between culture and calling. Everything in humanity was telling them that success looked like Egypt, success looked like Assyria, but God wanted something more for them. Does that sound like a little bit familiar? The humanity tells us what it looks like to be successful, but God has something more for us. So I think questions that we have to ask ourselves is what defines our success, or, or more importantly, who defines our success? Are we willing to look normal to the world in our obedience to God, or would we rather look extraordinary to the world in disobedience to Him? This is where Israel found themselves. In fact, in verse 7, God pretty much says, they flatter me, flatter me with their lips, but I will not exalt them. They want to turn away from me. They're, they're, they're giving me lip service. Their actions speak so much louder than their words. God isn't interested in empty platitudes. He wants genuine disciples. In fact, earlier on in this book, Hosea says in chapter 6, verse 6, he says, For I, declare, sorry, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. I want your acknowledgement. I want your your following. I want your discipleship. I don't want your burnt offerings. I don't want, want these empty gestures. I want you. See, it's not about the burnt offerings or the acts. It's about acknowledging who, who God is. And we have to do everything that we can to avoid becoming people who say a lot about our walk with Jesus and then don't back it up. At camp, at high school camp this last week, one of the statements made was people don't want to hear that you're a follower of Jesus. They want to see that you're a follower of Jesus. Israel was saying a whole lot of empty words. And we need to make sure that we do not become a people who say empty words when we are worshiping God. We need to be honest and real And people who are constantly pursuing Jesus, not just with the words that we speak to the people around us, but with what we're actually doing with our lives, that we would love people extraordinarily. In in chapter 11, back in verses 8 through 11, it goes on to say this. It says, how can I give you up, Ephraim, or Israel? How can I hand you over? How can I treat you like Admah, how can I make you like Zeboiim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again, for I am God, and I'm not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west." They will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows, from Assyria, flooding like, fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. So we go from an upset God to a heartbroken God, to a God filled with forgiveness and compassion, that our Father is so upset and He, he wants to discipline. But then He looks at His children and He says, oh, I can't, I, I've given you discipline And now I'm going to give you a way out. I'm going to give you forgiveness. I'm going to give you compassion. The next point this week is he's God and we are not. The simplicity of the statement for I am God and not a man is really incredible. While we look at an entire nation who is being nothing short of idiotic, we would understand if God was just like, I'm going to restart. I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to try again. They're, They're being disobedient. They're worshiping other gods. And this isn't the first thing that they've done over the generations. They've made mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. But he's God. I think that one of the biggest mistakes that I make as a follower of Jesus is that I operate based on my expectation of how I think God would react to something instead of just being faithful and being obedient and just letting him do the rest. That he would take my expectations and he would just blow them out of the water because he does have the supernatural power to take out a nation, but he also has the supernatural forgiveness to save it. He has the supernatural power to destroy a world. And we look at our world and we look at the chaos and we go, God, why wouldn't you just wipe us out and start again? This project didn't work. But he's not focused on his ability to get rid of it. He's focused on his ability to forgive it. He operates outside of our expectations, and we should be so thankful for that. For those of us who consider ourselves followers of Jesus, I think we just need to be constantly aware of a couple things. And the first one is this, is just our depravity. We are so unbelievably broken, so broken, so messy. But the second thing that we have to be aware of is that our depravity doesn't separate us from the compassion and the forgiveness and the love of God. I love how the book of Hosea ends, that 25 years of poems and sermons and words of wisdom, all of these different things. And in the last chapter of Hosea says this, and I'm going to read it in the message because I, I love the translation. It says, oh Z- Israel, come back. Return to your God. You're down, but you're not out. Prepare your confession. Just come back to God. Pray to Him. Take away our sin, Lord. Accept our confession. Receive as restitution our repentant prayers. Assyria is not going to save us. Horses won't get us where we want to go. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made, for in you the fatherless find compassion. I will heal their waywardness. I will love them lavishly. This is God speaking back to the nation of Israel. I will heal their waywardness. I will love them lavishly. My anger is played out. I will make a fresh start with Israel. He'll burst into bloom like a crocus in the spring. He'll put down deep oak tree roots, he'll become a forest of oaks, he'll become a splendid he'll become splendid like a giant sequoia, his fragrance like a grove of cedars. Those who live near him will be blessed by him. Be blessed and prosper like golden grain. Everyone will be talking about them, spreading their fame as the vintage children of God. Ephraim is finished with gods that are no gods, from now on I'm the one who answers and satisfies them. I am like a luxuriant fruit tree. Everything you need is found in me. And it goes back to the author and says, if you want to live well, make sure you understand all of this. If you know what's good for you, you'll learn this inside and out. God's paths get you where you want to go. Right living people walk them easily. Wrong living people are always tripping and stumbling. My prayer is that we would be people who operate in right living, that we would walk these things out, that we would understand the compassion, the forgiveness, and the love of God in a way that maybe we've never understood it before. Thanks so much for tuning back in to the College Age Movement podcast. We'll be back next week with another part of our series. If you are in Billings, we are meeting in person, even with the mask mandate. Uh, We meet Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock. Bring a mask, bring a friend, hang out with us, worship with us, and learn with us. We love you guys, and we hope to see you really, really soon.